0: Good morning. Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I guess you could say, I'm a daredevil. That's how a woman named Maude Ballou describes her work back in 1955, an unsung hero and little known secretary. And it may be a somewhat surprising thing for a secretary to say, but when you consider her work in the Civil Rights Movement, that she risked everything, that she got in trouble, that uh, she did it all for the sake of a very important mission, you might just consider her a daredevil too. You see, uh, that's because her story uh, takes place in Montgomery, Alabama. It's the early 1950s, and like most places in the Jim Crow South, uh, Montgomery, Alabama is a deeply divided city, segregated in almost every way, and primed and ready for a history-changing movement. A movement that, of course, uh, takes place on December 1st, 1955, when Rosa Parks refuses to give up her seat on a bus and you may know that uh, her act of disobedience leads to a bus boycott, that that bus boycott lasts a little over a year, and it raises up all sorts of brand new leaders. But what you may not know is that one of those leaders just so happens to be one of Maud Ballou's closest friends, a 26-year-old pastor named Martin Luther King Jr. He hired me to be his first personal secretary. Though I was uh, much more than that, I did research and writing, even edited early drafts of his I Have a Dream speech. And it's little wonder uh, that these two made such a perfect pair. And that's because, she says, our fathers were both Baptist ministers. And so we got along, just clicked, I guess. And uh, like most history-changing movements, it involved all sorts of work. There was so much to do that we stayed late most every night. But the hardest part wasn't the work involved. It was the risk it caused. You see, uh, shortly after those bus boycotts come to an end in December of 1956, in January 1957, there are a number of bombings in the city of Montgomery, Alabama. The closest, she says, happened just down the street and around the corner. And that was only the tip of the iceberg. Another time, she goes on, uh, someone came down from Birmingham. He said, I'm from the White Citizens Council. And if you don't stop working for the civil rights movement, we're going to get your kids. And you can just imagine the threat she felt. And why a family member, maybe a mother or brother or sister, would have said something like, you know, I know what you're doing is very important, but for our sake, for the kids' sake, you have got to stop. Now, fortunately for Maude and her family, no one gets hurt. Uh, not in her family, and eventually uh, King's work takes him to another city. But for just a second, I want you to consider her situation in the late 1950s. I want you to consider uh, that she is on a very important mission uniting division, restoring relationship, bringing health and healing where there once was hurt. And also, we need to consider that she is surrounded by rejection and opposition on every side. I mean, she's got relig- or she's got people in her city who are out to get her, and she's also got family members who are who are deeply afraid. And I want you to consider this because this is exactly the kind of situation that Jesus finds himself in today. He's got this important mission, just like Maud, a mission to unite division, restore relationship, bringing health and healing where there once was hurt. And he's also surrounded by opposition on every side. I mean, he's got these religious leaders. They're also out to get him. And he's got family members who are deeply concerned. Yet in the midst of it all, Jesus shows us that he will stop at nothing to bring us together and to make us a part of the family of God. Now, you see, it brings us uh, to today's reading from Mark chapter 3. And as you already uh, began to hear, uh, we encounter a number of groups of people in today's reading, three groups to be exact. you got a crowd that follows him, a family that's concerned by him, And a group of religious leaders that will stop at nothing to make him quit. And it all starts when Jesus returns to a place he once called home, a little city called Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. And as we find him there, he's surrounded by a crowd of followers. And they've been with him for the better part of two chapters now, and that's because they know that Jesus is on a mission to heal relationships and and to restore what was broken. And that's exactly what we heard about last week. We heard about this man who has a withered hand. And even though it's the Sabbath, even though it's illegal, Jesus heals his hand. And he invites him into the family of God. And so first you've got the crowds, and then you've got the family. And this family is out to make him stop, to shut him up. And quite honestly, it's the kind of thing that most families do when a family member is rocking the boat. I mean, just remember Maude's family. I know what you're doing is important, but for our sake, for the kids' sake, you need to stop. And so you got the crowds, you got the family, and then you got a bunch of religious leaders. And what you already know about these religious leaders is that they are out to get Jesus. Because he is challenging everything about the way their whole system works. Because you don't You don't heal people on the Sabbath. You don't preach or teach without authorization. And you certainly, you certainly don't tell unclean people that there is a place for them in God's family. And in today's reading, uh, we see this happen by them attacking Jesus. They call him all sorts of names. He's possessed by Satan. That's what they say to him. He's possessed by Satan, and that's how he casts out demons. And like a lot of public figures that get into a fight, that's more about tearing the other person down than actually being right about what you're saying. And, And this is exactly what Jesus points out to these guys. He says, you know, why? Why would Satan cast out Satan? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, a a house or a kingdom or a nation that's divided against itself, I mean, it's not going to stand. Satan wouldn't want to cast out Satan. And then he goes on to say something that grabs our attention almost 2,000 years later. All people are going to be forgiven. All people, Jesus says, are going to be forgiven. But whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit, whoever curses God, will never be forgiven because they are guilty of an eternal sin. It's kind of a a harsh thing to say. But what we need to know is that Jesus is looking directly at these religious leaders, and it's his way of saying, hey, if you're going to reject me, If you're going to reject God, if you're going to cut yourself off from the place that you can find unconditional forgiveness, all right, God will let you do that. And maybe that settles that question a little bit for you. Whatever the case, the important part is what happens next. Because Jesus is on a mission, and that's what he shows us. You see, these religious leaders, they fade into the background, and Jesus' family appears on the scene, and he knows that they create their own kind of division. And so before they can approach him, he asks a question. Who are my mother and brothers and sisters? Who belongs in the family of God? And then he stops for a moment, and he looks around himself, and he points at the people sitting at his feet, ordinary people, Average people. People no different from you and me, from all sorts of different backgrounds. These, Jesus says, these are my mothers and my brothers and my sisters. Because all people are welcome in the family of God. Now, A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, asked to present at one of our women's Bible studies. It was my first time ever attending a women's Bible study. And uh, they asked me to uh, speak with them a little bit about uh, the faith of millennials, how people my age, maybe a little older, certainly a little younger, understand Jesus, the church, and everything in between. And I told them that, you know, quite honestly, I'm a a little bit of an outlier because only about 50% of people my age identify as Christian. A little more than 15% are meaningfully connected to a church. And, you know, here I am, this guy who not only identifies as a Christian, but as a a leader of Christians in the church. And it led to a a really interesting conversation. You know, what makes you different? That's what someone asked. Why do you care so much about Jesus? And I didn't realize it at the time, but one of the answers I gave actually has everything to do with today's reading. You see, Uh, Jesus shows us today something very important. I'm convinced that Jesus is on a mission. A mission to restore our broken and hurting world. And you know, I, I could talk with you all morning about what that means. You know, that we see it all sorts of places in the Scriptures, in the story of Jesus, in our lives, that it has to do with sin and fractured relationships with with people around us, with God's creation, with God Himself. You see, one of the ways that God is restoring our broken and hurting world is by bringing us together and making us a part of the family of God. So a couple of weeks ago, I reflected on the fact that we live in a deeply divided world. And I don't have to tell you that. I mean, you just flip on the news, right? Politics, race, religion, sex, all deeply divided. And the world tells you that you're either going to be in one camp or the another. I mean, you're either going to be a Democrat or a Republican. You're either going to be black or white. You're either going to be helped because you're a man or hindered because you're a woman. You're either going to be an iPhone guy or an Android gal. You're either going to root for the ravens or cheer for the redskins. I mean, this is the kind of deeply divided world that we live in, a world that says you're going to belong to one camp or another. And in your life, people are either with you or they're against you. And that's why I am convinced that Jesus' response in today's reading changes everything for people like you and me. Because in a world that is constantly asking us, who are your mothers? Who are your brothers? Who are your sisters? Jesus says, it doesn't work that way. We don't act that way in the family of God. I'll be the first to admit uh, that we haven't always done a great job following Jesus' example. But this is one of the reasons I believe that Jesus is really important. This is one of the reasons I care about what he has to say and what he does and did. Because he does bring us together and he does make us a part of one big family. And I think that's something that we all need. I mean, I think it's something that we're all yearning for because I don't know about you, but I need a place where I am not evaluated by my credentials. I need a place where I am not judged by my past. I need a place where I can be honest and transparent as I figure out what it means to be a child of God in our world. And this, this, Jesus says, is what it means to be a part of the family of God. Now, a little earlier today at our 930 service, we celebrated a baptism. And baptisms are, are these really exciting moments uh, for God's family. And that's because uh, with, with a, a splash of water and a couple of words, God brings us together and makes us into one big family. I mean, he, he creates this place where we're not evaluated by our credentials, where we're not judged by our past, where we're allowed to be honest and open and transparent as we figure out what, what it really looks like to be a child of God in our world. And you know, It's true. We haven't always done a great job at following his example. But you know, God even has an answer for that. He invites us to confess our sins. He invites us to receive forgiveness. He invites us to restore the relationships that we have with one another and the kind of relationships that we have in this world. And that's what changes everything for people like you and me. Because in a world that's constantly asking you, who are your mother and brothers? Jesus says, You are my mother, my brothers, and my sisters. I mean, you you get to be a part of that. And so today, uh, another person joins the family. And you get to show her, just like you show one another, what it means to be a part of God's family. That that in this family, everyone's welcome. That in this family, it doesn't matter who you are or where you've been. And then in this family, water. The water of baptism, the bonds that bind us together, really are thicker than blood. And so may God bless you as he reminds you about the power that is found in your baptism. That in it and through it, in a world that so often seeks to divide you, God brings us together. And makes us a part of one big family. His family, the family of God. Amen. No, the peace of God or surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.